What does it take to become a malware analyst? Hi, I'm Matthew Schwartz, Executive Editor for Information Security Media Group. To help me answer the malware analyst question, I'm speaking with Marion Marshalek of Cyfort. Marion, thank you for joining me. Hello, Matthew. Nice to be here with you. So tell me a little bit about what you do currently as a malware analyst. I understand you get to take things apart. Yes, I love to take things apart. So I'm a malware analyst, which means I frequently look at and into malicious binaries. My company works in advanced threat detection, and whatever threats they find, they pass on to the research team. We perform our research on these binary sets and see if we can find new threats or new techniques used by threats and try to improve our product based on these findings that we have. So my job is it to take apart these binaries and find interesting mechanisms and interesting techniques. And just briefly, what is Cyfort offering? What are these vulnerabilities that you're finding helping to improve? So Cyfort distributes a platform for APT detection, or detection of advanced threats. In reality, though, we aim to like, find all the threats that we can detect. Cyfort has a box which works on the wire. That means that they're installed on the network and aim to find malicious activity that goes in and out of the network and that is moving around within the company network. How did you get a start as a malware analyst? I was always a person fascinated by taking things apart to begin with. And at university, I had to pick a thesis topic. And to be honest, among all the topics that were offered, malware analysis was the only thing that appeared as something that I could do with my life. So I, I picked that topic and worked with an Austrian antivirus company on malware classification based on big data. Not that back then I had much understanding of big data, but working on data about malware, I got curious of how malware actually works because this is not really a topic treated by universities. So I decided I wanted to go deeper and that I want to start reverse engineering to understand the binaries that I would classify later. So I started reverse engineering partially in my free time. And two years into my job, I found a reverse engineering challenge online, which was a female reverse engineering challenge to foster the amount of female engineers in the field. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I still have no idea about reverse engineering, but this is a challenge. It's made for females. It's about malware, and I should be able to do it, right? So I put my head around that and actually made it to win the challenge. And that was just a big step forward for me. Congratulations. Thank you. That was really a big thing back then. And after that, well, I went to various uh, conferences, and there happened to find Cyfort. In the end, we were searching for malware analysts, and they were offering a position to really um, reverse engineer full-time. I was like, oh yeah, I want to do this. And this is how I ended up being there. Speaking now as a professional reverse engineer, are there any particular skills that you find useful or anything that you wish you had known when you first started out? Oh, yeah, I think there's books of things I wish I had known before. First of all, before I even started on the topic, I didn't think it was such a fascinating field of research. Because now I keep bumping into people who say like, oh my God, it looks so boring what you do. And I swear, doing that job, I've never felt bored. It's always been a challenge and it's still interesting to dig into binaries. And what most people don't think is that you don't usually stare at assembly code all the time, but you get to know the inner workings of a piece of binary. And with that, you also get to know the thoughts that the author had who implemented it, which is the most fascinating thing for me, to kind of get into the thinking of the malware author himself. Just a little bit creepy sometimes, but mostly it's fascinating. It's a real meta perspective. You have the code and what it does, and then you have the thinking and the inclinations behind it. 
Yes, exactly. And usually you're also interested in the surroundings or the abouts of the malware. Like, where did it hit and what was the infrastructure behind it? And what was the country that was the main target or what was the infrastructure that was mainly targeted? And especially in times of today, we see a lot of malware also targeting not only like end users or credit card data, but more interesting assets like stealing of intellectual property or directly attacking banks or insurances or uh, bigger stories than uh, we saw 10 years ago. The field is just getting more and more interesting every day. Is there a particular piece of malware that you've analyzed in your job that you find more fascinating than any other, and why? Certainly. So, I mean, the more time you spend on a piece of malware, the more you tend to feel at home when you enter your debugger and, like, look at the structure of the binary, like, you know your way in and out. And in the past year, I had a very interesting encounter with an espionage trojan, which in the end turned out to potentially originate from the French government, which was a field that I had never touched before, and it was very fascinating. Um, the malware itself, project name was Babar. If you've ever heard of Babar, that's a French cartoon, it's an elephant. And I thought it actually very nice that there was malware around being named after a elephant. And how is the quality of their code, if this was theoretically a well-funded nation-state group? That's an interesting question. After we published information about that piece of malware, we had a lot of questions coming in. How would you compare Babar to Reagan or Stuxnet? Because that's apparently what people understand as nation-state malware. And Reagan and Stuxnet are just incredibly complex, where there's no way that other pieces of software get close to. What people should understand, though, is that just that the piece of malware is being used by a nation-state doesn't imply that it has to be super complex. Complexity doesn't necessarily correlate with the success rate of a piece of malware, and Babar itself wasn't super complex, but still super successful. So Babar went, I don't want to say undetected, but unrecognized for about five to eight years, which is a long period for a piece of malware. And it didn't take a massive development team, like for example, for Stuxnet. So for asking me how complex it was, it was fairly interesting for a malware reverser. It was not super complex, that it took a long time to take apart. You make a great point. It only needs to be complex enough to get the job done. Exactly. That's something in threat detection that people are yet have to realize that it's not the most challenging defense mechanisms that attackers are after, but the least challenging defense mechanisms. It's the same with malware. You don't need the most complex malware to get through a defense. It just takes one week spot. Marian, thank you very much for your time today. No, thank you. For Information Security Media Group, this is Matthew Schwartz. Thank you for joining us.